If you would turn in your Bibles, please, to Psalm 19. There are a lot of scriptures that summarize the whole of God's message uh, to us. This is one of those scriptures that uh, is very clear in its message of who God is and His message to mankind as to what He has come uh, to do. And as we look at this, I want us to think about this psalm in three parts as we think about God's story of, of His message to mankind and that it's God's story uh, in the world, in the universe, and God's story in His Word, and God's story in redemption. And so you'll see that as we read these scriptures uh, today. And so this is God's Word. Let us listen to Him with our hearts and minds set on Him. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he be pleased to change our lives by his word. I want us to look first of all in this passage of scripture at God's story of the the universe. And and in verse 1 where it says the heavens declare the glory of God, it's what it's saying here is there's a whole lot of shouting going on. That's what the word declare here means, that God is shouting out throughout the universe His uh, glory. Uh, and, and we just need to open our ears and, and want to hear what God has to say uh, to us through His uh, creations. The, the, the glory of God is, is being shouted out throughout every aspect of this 
universe. And we ought to be overwhelmed by this continual testimony. These first six verses are just talking about the continuity over and over and over again. The glory of God is being shouted out in the universe. And the words are declaring here is in the present tense. And it simply means this is being done continually, continually over and over and over again. And what is it that's being shouted out? God's glory. And that involves his existence, that he is, his power and what that uh, is manifested into this world, his wisdom, how this is brought about, his goodness in teaching us about himself. If you want to know something about his creation, then gaze at his uh, creation. You want to know something about the creator, gaze upon his creation. Uh, infinity is declared by his creations. You look at the boundless space. The Hubble telescope has recently discovered further solar systems, further stars deep into the universe, billions and billions of light years away. Yet God in a moment created the stars with reference to the earth. And I'll show you that in, in just a, a minute, where in a moment, the all of creation could be seen as God had brought it into being. And would you seek to understand God's wisdom by looking at the heavens? Consider the balance of the planets just in our solar system. The perfect gravitational Pull the orbits around the sun of all the planets in perfect balance and consider the regularity of the, the planets and the rising and setting of the sun that these verses uh, refer to here. And consider God's power and God's greatness and his majesty to control all of the multitude of the stars in their places and to know them by name. Turn with me back to Genesis chapter 1 at verse 14. Genesis 1:14, where God said this. And I just want you to see this because all of what God has created into the infinity of the universe has reference to the earth. Has reference to man living on the earth. Listen to what he says. And God said... Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Everything in the heavens set there for this purpose. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to do what? To give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars, all with reference to the earth. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. Turn also with me to... Psalm 147, where God knows every star by name. 
147. Psalm 147 at verse 4. He determines the number (laughs) of the stars. Can you imagine the number of the stars, billions and billions of them? And he gives them, he gives to all of them their names. No wonder then the psalmist says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. If he didn't choose to give us understanding, we wouldn't understand these things. But because we believe God is, we believe what he says and we accept what his word says. And what are the heavens doing then? They're declaring that God is consciously, intelligently planning, controlling, and sustaining all of the movements of every aspect of the universe. That's mind-boggling, isn't it? And yet, all of this is shouting out God's glory. And yet, for all this shouting out of God's glory, what purpose is that for one whose ears are closed, who cannot hear? Or for all the light that's being declared, what purpose is that for one who cannot see? We are so dependent upon God by His Spirit to open spiritually dead ears and to cause spiritually blind eyes to see. We can't make that happen. The natural man is at enmity with God. The natural man cannot understand the things of God until God, by His Spirit, gives us the grace to hear and the grace to see. And the book of nature is there for all to see. It is plain. Even the expanse of the heavens is constantly proclaiming the works of His hands. And the atheist sees it, but only with spiritually blinded eyes. He hears the testimony, but only with spiritually deaf ears. The atheist declares there is no God, but he is a fool For doing so, what he is really proclaiming is his own deafness and his own blindness concerning God. You see, God is. And God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him with the heart. Listen to this word. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1 at verse 18. And just marvel at what God has revealed. Even his wrath. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What are they doing? They see it, they understand it, they suppress it. Because they do not want to see, they do not want to hear. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes. Listen. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So that all mankind is what? Without 
excuse for seeking Him. Oh, it's a wonder, isn't it? So know this, understand this, believe this, and approach other people in this light. We witness ourselves to God's glory because He's done something to us. He has demonstrated His power to us, the same power that the choir sang about, about the resurrection, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's raised us from the spiritual dead. Are you spiritually alive today? Or are you just existing? There's a difference. You may be alive physically and be spiritually dead. Mm. God has demonstrated His power. When you want other people to see the power that you have experienced, pray that God will give them, uh, will demonstrate His power in their hearts and their lives. Our responsibility is simply to tell people what Jesus has given to us and what Jesus has done to us, to declare His glory. So that's the story of the universe. There is hope to understand in these next verses. It is found in God's story in His written Word, verses 7 through uh, 11. The song that we sang, Oh, How Love I Thy Law, is simply taken from these verses uh, here in, in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. There's six qualities of God's Word here and six divine effects. And this is not just talking about the Ten Commandments. This is talking about the whole of God's Word. The whole of Scripture is man's rule of faith and practice. And it says here in verse 7, it's a perfect Word. It declares a perfect life that needs to be lived. It declares also in a perfect way man's inability to obey because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But it declares a perfect solution to man's inability. And we'll see that uh, in a few minutes. But nothing in God's Word is empty. Nothing in His Word uh, is vain. Nothing uh, is without power. Because the Scripture says that God's Word, when it goes out, when you hear it, and you've heard it this morning, it goes out and does not return unto Him void. It does not return unto Him in an empty way. It's done something already in each of our hearts as we have heard it. We've either dug in our heels to it, or we've yielded ourselves to it, one way or the other. The power of God is demonstrated to us uh, today in His Word. It accomplishes, it says, what He sends it forth to do. What does it do? The law of the Lord is perfect. It does what? It revives or it converts the soul. It brings the sinner to repentance. You cannot bring yourself to repentance. God's Word must do it. You cannot exercise faith. God's Word must bring faith to you to be exercised. That is, in the natural man. You cannot do it. The, the sinner is turned to this God whom creation is shouting uh, about, and it turns him to live a godly life. This is God's Word. It's not men's uh, comments on it. It's not men's opinions 
about it. God moved upon holy men to write and to speak what God wants us to understand. And what does the law do? It drives us to Christ, or as Andy mentioned uh, a while ago, it lovingly brings us unto Christ as we hear the gospel, as we hear the good news that we need to hear because we are sinners in need of God's grace. The whole of Scripture is perfect. And the second quality of the story of God's Word, it is it has a sure testimony. It has a testimony against sin. It has a testimony for righteousness, a righteousness revealed in another person that we desperately need because we cannot stand before God in our own righteousness because it's like filthy rags. And it gives a testimony about that. It's a testimony about man's fall. It's a testimony about how to be restored from the fall. It's plain. It is infallible. And it leads us to accept a sure word of testimony from God because it gives life both now and forever. The wonder of our shorter catechism and the question, the first question that says, what's the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But you can't enjoy Him forever unless you enjoy Him here. So when you see His glory, when you're able to give glory to Him, you know that God has done something and you already are enjoying Him here. Are you enjoying Him today? Are you enjoying His worship? Are you rejoicing in Him this day? What a, what a wonder amidst the uncertainties of, of this life in our culture. Uh, the Scripture calls us not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal, renewal of our mind. Because what will it do? It will make you wise. This is the divine effect here. Wise unto salvation. As Paul said about Timothy when he heard the word from his grandmother and his mother, that these are able to make you wise unto salvation. To become as babies. Because it is to babies, it is to the simple that these things are revealed. And and Jesus says we must become like babies. If we're to enter the kingdom of God, we're to become yielded, obedient, needing help, totally dependent upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a perfect word. It's a sure word. And the third quality here in Psalm 19, in this story of God's word, is that the precepts of God or the statutes of God are right. All of God's Word is right. Man's ways are are false, even if he thinks he's right. There is a way that seems right unto man, the end thereof, or what? The ways of death. They seem right. But it's only as we embrace God's Word, it's only as we say, yes, Lord, this is what I want to flood my soul. This is what I want to, to live by, to yield ourselves to that, will we know and do what is right? Now, you trust a, a doctor to give you the right medicine for an illness. You trust a counselor 
to give you right advice. We must trust and live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Because what is the effect here of this right word? Nothing else has this effect. It rejoices the heart. It rejoices the inner being of a sinner saved by grace. We hear that perfect word. We're converted by that word. And it brings us to a place of rejoicing. We could have sung, How Great Thou Art, where the chorus says, Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. That the soul is that which wants to rejoice before God. And that's what God wants to deal with in the heart. We hear the perfect word. We're converted and we rejoice before Him. True grace, true power of God brings rejoicing to the heart. Are you rejoicing today? All of our pursuits after the things of this world are like what? Like chasing the wind. And only as we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness as revealed in His Word will we find real, lasting joy. That's what God's Word does. And the fourth quality of this story of the Word is that the commandment or the Word is pure. It is absolutely pure. There is no mixture of error in God's Word. It does not lead you to doubt. When people want you to doubt God's Word, you say, that's not what God's Word leads me to do. I do not doubt His Word. It's like pure gold, much fine gold, something to be desired and of infinite value. And what does this pure Word do? It enlightens the eyes where one can finally say, Oh, I see. Finally, I see, I understand. That's what God's Word does. Here is the cure for the natural blindness of the soul. Have you experienced that cure? That when you read God's Word, you don't say, Oh, well, that's just too difficult to understand. I'll never understand it. Or, Lord, teach it to me because I have a heart that is set upon you, and I want to know more of your word. What is it with your heart? God's word is perfect. It's a testimony. It's right. It's pure. And fifthly, it's clean. Here expressed as the fear of the Lord, that God's word causes us to fear God in the sense that it causes us to bow before Him and to reverence Him. In our lives. And, and therefore, it purges out our love for sin. As you think about your human nature, you love sin. You sin because you love to sin. But as you read God's Word, it will purge out that love for sin. And it begins that process of sanctific- uh, sanctification in the soul. We grow inwardly so that we will become more and more like our Savior, and other people will see that we are like Him. And don't say, well, I'm not Jesus. Well, you represent Him, and He 
comes to live in you and you want to be like him in every way that you can. This word cleanses us. Read the word so that every vestige of sin will be rooted from the soul. That it would cleanse you. And this effect would be that we endure forever. It's only God's word that does that. As we embrace it, as we abide in it, we abide in His presence forever and ever. Don't you love that Romans 8 passage where it says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. No sickness, no death, nothing that happens in His creation can separate us from the love of God. You see, sin brings the effects of death. Even a little sin in in our lives. Oh, God doesn't care. God does care. Because He does not want death to come into our being, into our soul. Fight sin. Fight it. God's Word brings life. And that will never end. And sixthly, the Word, the rules of God are true and righteous altogether. Every small part, all together, every small part, and the whole is God's Word, and it's absolutely true. You can trust it. You can live by it. Don't trust your own imagination. Don't trust your own heart. Because what? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And you can see it in Hollywood. You can see it in our culture, what's happening in, in people following the desires of their own hearts. Uh, but nothing else than God's Word will enrich the soul. You read a newspaper. You read TV Digest. You try to understand things from a worldly perspective. And you enjoy doing that. Read God's Word to enjoy Him. And to enjoy what He wants of your life. Verse 10 says, Desire God's Word like fine gold. Taste it like the sweetest honey. And as you do so, be ready for God's Word to warn you and that you find that in the keeping of God's Word, it brings wonderful and daily rewards. You've got to love God's Word for that to happen. So we have God's story in the universe. We have God's story in His Word. And lastly, we have His story in redemption. Do you see that in these last few verses, verse 12 through 14? His story in redemption. Verse 12, look at it. says that we are full of sin, and yet we need to be declared innocent. How can that be? How can we be declared innocent if we are full of sin? There are a multitude of errors, it says here. There are a volume of hidden faults. There are daily those presumptuous sins that defy God. That's what presumptuous sins are. Just spitting in God's face. Just defying Him. They presume to be true what God says is false. And you can think about that. What, what's a direct affront to God? Uh, such things as robbing God of His tithes, such things as using the Sabbath for your own uh, pleasure, 
Those are presumptuous sins. And we say, oh, God doesn't care. Oh, he does. He does care. He cares how we live. He, he cares how we respond to him. He cares how we think about his great love for us. But how can we ever be innocent of great transgression? How is it that this transgression will not have dominion over me? It's because God has laid upon Jesus our sins and the consequences of our sins. We cannot be declared innocent because of what we do. How can the meditations of our hearts and and our words be acceptable before Him? It's only as we have come to know Jesus and come in union with Him and He has come to live in us, not by our own efforts. But looking to Him who, in this last verse, says He is our rock and our redeemer because we've been bought with a price. You're not your own anymore. I'm not my own anymore. We have been purchased with the price of the blood of Jesus Christ. Only He could pay the price for our sins and bring us at last to heaven. One of the things that we do at First Presbyterian Church in Hattiesburg is that we try to say that as, as uh, shepherds of God's sheep, that we're trying to help people to arrive safely in heaven. You've got to be on the right road. You've got to be doing the right things. You've got to die rightly as you are in union with Christ, as you demonstrate that you're in union with Christ. And we try to help people to see that that's what God intends for us to do, to be lights in the world, to be salt to the earth, to have an effect upon other people's lives. And, and our Redeemer has has purchased us so that we can do those things. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become, what? The righteousness of God in Him. So I would say from this Scripture that we need to embrace Him today. We need to love Him today, to love His Word. Oh, how love I Thy law. This is God's story. It's the story of the universe. It's the story of His Word. It's the story of Jesus, our Redeemer, that rock upon which we uh, stand. And it's a rock that we will stand upon for eternity because of His grace to us. May our hearts respond in praise and gratitude to God for His wonderful love to us in this psalm. Let's uh, pray together. Father in heaven, I just pray that you would take this psalm and seal it to our hearts and seal it to our lives and use us daily to manifest as the universe does your glory. That we people would see uh, your glory in our lives. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.